0: What kind of mind do you have to have like not to stop the process of like what's gonna go wrong and I'm just gonna blow up my my amp. Well, some people are afraid of looking bad, you know?
1: Fear yeah. of looking bad, right? I look bad sure. in front of ten thousand of my fans. So I will demean that, the amp show? to make the amp. See, but it is a strat, like Joe Perry said, it needed a good whack upside the frickin' marshall. So we, Rickety. we can't fault him. Yeah.
2: Boom. Yeah, that's cool. Boom. boom.
0: Like, look we're at talking.
2: We're, yeah. we're talking about him and then it, awesome. his shit blows
0: up. Look Years up. later, dude. Yeah. Oh, my God. I think that's awesome. Never Whenever seen- I need music gear, I always go to Sweetwater.com. If it's mics, headphones, or studio and recording gear, Sweetwater has you covered. Next time you need any music gear, support the podcast by using the link in the description and comment section below. Jeff Young, David Ellison, I am honored to meet you for the first time in my entire life. Thank you. So cool. You too. Welcome to Santa Ana. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Welcome to Santa Ana, and your shit almost got jacked, so welcome. Yeah, typical welcome party, you know. (laughs) Stuff gets broken
1: into or stolen or hijacked or whatever, so. But we live to fight another day. Well, luckily it was just... uh, what, so someone towed, towed your toed the towed the truck. You know, it's funny. After all the years, have you ever had anything stolen? I've never had
2: anything stolen. Or towed. Nor towed. Yeah. At least related to rock and roll. Until we
1: come to Santa Ana. This is where shit gets real. <laughs> <laughs> Over in Anaheim, they
0: don't tow anything. Here in Santa Ana, look out.
2: So we've been put on notice.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what was that like? What, you just fucking just walk out? Like, where's, where's the U-Haul? I guess so,
1: yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Our... Uh, our tour manager's like, uh, not to cause uh, any panic, but the gear is gone. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, but they found it. Yeah, it had been moved to another location. So all is well. Just another day in rock and roll. How, how do you know that something's towed? I it, guess there was a sign, right? It, well,
2: it took a while. At first, we thought it was stolen, and then the, the cop was really winding me up. He's like, don't you know where you are, son? <laughs> oh, you're, you're in, in the jungle, jungle baby. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, well, I'm uh, it's very, very, it was a blessing that it wasn't a, a real, a real crime. Yeah, otherwise,
1: you'd be over here borrowing your Fender seven string to uh go on stage tonight. So. Sure, yeah. I was, I was, what I gladly... is that?
0: Is that an old one or is that a uh reissue? No, that, that is custom made, about four years old now.
1: Okay, well, I didn't even know Fender made a
0: Seven string anything. I knew they made a and six we're string learning bass. today. They yeah. uh, well, they don't. Yeah, uh, they did for you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah nice. Also, uh, well, you know Fender's all lacquer, so they put like the, like, the uh, lacquer, so naturally, mm-hmm. just kind of, it's kind of being fucked yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. thrown around, because Fenders are meant to be thrown around.
1: They are right.
0: Yeah, as Richie Blackmore and Joe Perry have taught us,
1: whack them up. I think that was I remember that was an interview in a guitar player magazine when I was a kid. Joe huh. Perry said he goes, yeah, stretch. Sometimes he's a good whack up side of the Marshall. And then it behaves better. <laughs> and as a kid, when you have no money and you have, like, one guitar, you go, why would you do that? Now we have many guitars, and now we know why you would do that. <laughs> Sometimes it behaves better. I had an amp the other night at the Whiskey. Plugged it in. I think we rehearsed with it twice. It was brand new, out of the box. I plugged it in, and it was, like, going all microphonic. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And the best thing to find out to see if it's going to make it work better is to hit it. You always hit it first, right? Punch is it. That, yeah. Is that is Always. A, is that a thing? You. Punch it. Because then if if it stops, then that means it's just something inside loose and rattling. I mean, immediately it's going to leave the deck because you're not going to go on stage with something that's not working. No. yeah, Like 100%. But it was just a good way to know whether it's going to go in the trash or if I'm going to send it back to the company.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's something you would do with like like, like a TV. Yeah. So apparently you do that with amps, too. Well, maybe if you had an old tube TV and if you hit it, the tube would
1: behave at least long enough to watch the show, right? So it's wow. the same thing, you know. Yeah.
0: Speaking of Richard Blackmore, uh, we're we're pretty near Ontario, and that's where Deep Purple played. Uh, I think part of one of the more recent shows with Ricky, and that's where that's where he fucking uh, he blew up. That that that's like the uh, famous show where he like blew up his fucking full stack. Really? Yeah. It was, yeah. It, was it was it was here. Like they like, who? What is? What kind of mind do you have to have? Like, not to stop the process of like what's going to go wrong, and yeah. to stop that. That thought process, and I'm just going to blow up my, my amp. Well, some people are afraid of looking bad, you know? Fear yeah. of looking bad,
1: right? I look bad sure. in front of 10,000 of my fans. So I will demean that, the amp show. to make the amp. <laughs> See, but it is a strat. Like Joe Perry said, it needed a good whack upside the freaking Marshall. So we, we can't fault him. Yeah.
2: Boom. Yeah, that's cool. Boom. we like, We're, <laughs> we're, we're, talking, we're yeah. talking about him and then it, <laughs> awesome. his shit blows up. Look, Years look. later, dude. Yeah. Oh, my god. I think that's awesome. I've never seen that yeah. before. You, you, you okay. seen that, Jeff? Yeah, uh, okay. no. Look,
1: all things in showbiz. Like, you got to send
2: me that. That's, that's one step beyond. But I, I got uh, a great Richie Blackmore story that I learned recently. You know, he's doing that kind of run fair, mm-hmm. Blackmore's Night thing with his wife, Candace. And so, because it's kind of Ren Fair, they end up playing a lot of castles and, mm-hmm. and these kind of renaissance parties. And they were playing a castle in somewhere in Europe, and he has a rule that he cannot be seen before that first chord that he hits, the spotlight when it hits him. And this was a daylight show, and there was the dressing room. The band would have to cross a bridge over a moat. Mm-hmm. to get to the stage, and he's like, well, this will just never do. This is, <laughs> this is not going to work. So his, I'm with him, by the so way. So his tour manager, <laughs> <Yeah>. Frank, <laughs> had to rent some kind of kayak, canoe kind of gondola thing where they took Richie, and imagine the kind of Ren fair garb he wears that looks <laughs> <laughs> like he stepped out of the broke era. <laughs> so Right
1: there. Yeah, there. In, so imagine
2: in, him all dressed to the nines in these shoes, he had the tour manager have a guy take him behind the stage in the moat and he climbed up the rocks as not to be seen. Imagine seeing Richie Blackmore climbing up the rocks behind the stage in this awkward garb just
1: <laughs> But but I agree. <laughs> you know, you don't see the bride before the wedding. That's the whole point of it, right? Is it's that true, right? That it's is true. show business, man. It, when you're on stage, And you hear me say this all the time. You're not in the music business. Record companies are in the music business. We are in the entertainment business. We're here to entertain, right? I never heard that before in my life. Yeah, we're in the entertainment business. So it's about when there's a when whoever the feature is, is downstage, right? Close to the audience, right? That's the person who's who's featured, right? Everyone Mm -hmm. else stand back, right? We Mm -hmm. do it even on the stage of the whiskey the other night, right? Or it's probably tonight too, right? Small little stage, but. When Jeff's playing a solo, the bass player's not up front fucking hamming out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get back. Right? I mean, that's Let what him, we do. When, when the singer's singing, everybody else stand back, right? It's the featured featured guy, right? See, so, look, it, it, that's not climbing boots either. See, just like that right there. <laughs> you know, you don't want to see that guy before the show starts, right? You don't? Right? You want that to be poof bang that's that's the moment man yeah, you, so. you, you
0: want because uh during shows you want like you're you're just creating Moustique. moments yeah because yeah. no one knows a whole show you're just that's creating a paul a stanley moment.
1: line by the way really yeah, yeah oh shit he i mean i don't know if he invented it i'm sure they probably got that from somebody maybe paul did come up with it but that is paul's thing is that you you don't ever remember a full 90 minute show you remember moments you remember you know huh. paul flies gene spits blood you well, know, yeah, fire. fire. The guitar has smoke coming out of it. You know, those are the takeaway moments that you will remember forever. Hmm. You know, and um, so what you said is a true statement. You know, it's even even tonight. You're not going to remember all. What do we play? Million, two and a million. half
2: hours. <laughs> 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 you're <laughs> not going <laughs> to remember the two million notes, but you will remember a few yeah. of
1: them. Yeah, you'll remember a thing. You know, and sometimes yeah. it's like a dude tripped or a guy. <laughs> You know,
2: <laughs> that's Jeff Young fell off the <laughs> <Yeah>. stage. <laughs> yeah.
1: The other night, my one moment where I introduced a song, I introduced a song, and because the set list is tiny and it's like, you know, 10 feet away, I introduced a song, Jeff starts the other one. It was like, well, that was interesting. And then we go back and we play the other one. Like, that was our moment. That was like a moment of that's like. That's a moment. That's a unique moment that was f- unique to that show, right? So.
0: And that's what people will yeah. re- remember. Yeah. But oh, wait, remember when, when they almost kind of fucked up that. Yeah. That, that song, but I think people kind of, uh, I think, appreciate that
2: more.
1: They do. Look, they know, it's, know? They know it's human. Plus, you know. they're half drunk. They didn't re- probably remember it all. <laughs>
2: well, <laughs> but, <laughs> you remember, you know, Bach or was it Mozart? One of those forefathers said, you know, it's not the mistakes. You know, they, people don't care if you make mistakes. That's passable. That's excusable. But playing without passion mm-hmm. and not bringing the emotion, there's yeah. none excuse. No excuse.
1: And there's another good one. Hmm. Once is a mistake.
0: Twice is jazz.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Miles Davis. I believe I heard
0: that. Yeah, Miles. Miles go. Davis. I've, I, I kind of forgot where exactly where where I heard that. Speaking of Kiss, were they were they the first band to like have pyro and have like a drum riser and. I think they were. I think they were. I mean, that was the thing is, you know,
1: Zeppelin didn't have a, uh, they didn't have a drum riser. And it's funny, you know, I saw U2 the other night at the Sphere in Vegas. Oh, my God, They didn't, oh have, a, God, you they didn't have a drum riser either. And it was cool. It was, you know, he had the the, the shell around it because everything bleeds. There's basically the Edge had a pedal board. And, and I told Jeff, I said, he had a moment after after one song where he had this delay, exactly like Jeff has. Because he, tur- mm-hmm. he after the song ended and he turned mm-hmm. it off, I went, oh, my God, he's got mm-hmm. Jeff's delay. Mm-hmm. Who knew The Edge had Jeff Young's delay? But he does. I heard it.
2: T.C. Electronics.
1: <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, it, it was, um, but that was, you know, Zeppelin, yeah, drums are on the floor. Then,
2: you know, I mean, look. They had fog, but they didn't have the...
1: Yeah, and and the fire and every in fact I was thinking would Kiss play the sphere and like, you know, maybe they will one day, but you know, it's not a it's not a Pyro venue. I mean Pyro would be on video <laughs> at the sphere, right? You wouldn't mm-hmm. white shit up over there at all. Huh. Let's the whole place burn down. But um yeah, I mean look, Pyro, look putting the picks on the mic stand, that was a kiss thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look, there's so much that we learn. I mean, look, we everything's been done, we just sort of borrow it and put our own stamp
0: on it you know yeah we just probably put our own our own thing to it
1: yeah i mean all you the know? notes have been played you know um so we just how you yeah. say it's, it's how you it goes back to what jeff just said it's the passion is how you play the note that matters
0: i like that it's how how you play it and also i've heard uh it it's what's also in in between the notes oh we're the looking at a fun fact pink floyd were the innovators of
1: pyrotechnics oh oh shit concerts yep I didn't know that a blast of smoke was set off at the back of the stage. Then bands such as Who, the Who, Kiss, yes. and Queen followed. Well, so I guess Damn. I guess Pink Floyd once again. And you know who's you know what Pink Floyd's original name was? Megadeth. Are you kidding me? Kid you not? That was an what? Orig- Yeah, the D E A T H. And I don't know if they used it once, if they wrote it down on a tablet <laughs> as a potential name. But there's a fun fact about that. Look, he'll probably bring it up. Pink Floyd's original name. Mega Deaths. The Megadeths. The Megadeths. Yeah, the Megadeths, right? Now
2: right, we gotta put so, that out there more. I never knew that. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't
1: that cool?
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. Apparently they never trademarked it. <laughs>
2: mm. <laughs> I like this show because everything we talk about yeah, shows up on yeah, the screen yeah. to my left. Uh,
0: yeah. Pictures, so, uh, facts. So David, you, you grew up in a farm mm-hmm. in Minnesota mm-hmm. and uh do you start you picked up base of what, around around eight? No, like eleven. I mean it piano lessons 11. were eight, nine, oh, okay. and then
1: tenor sax in the uh elementary school
0: band and then yeah, then bass probably like age eleven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh with the with with what you did is you you want you actually wanted to be a bass player. First. You, i did it, it, i it, liked it. It, it it wasn't like the and, and
1: here's why like i heard sweet i heard ballroom blitz i heard that on the radio and i went those electric guitar i didn't know what it was i knew it was an electric guitar and it mm-hmm. sounded amazing right and distortion i originally thought the distorted bass the distorted guitar was a bass i'm like what is that i've never heard that before mm-hmm. that must be the bass that does that right and then a friend of mine had bachman turner overdrive not fragile the uh, gatefold, and so there's mm. amazing ba- band, killer, great record, uh, and they named the record not fragile because Yes had just come out with a record called Fragile, and BTO were mm. heavy and not the kind of like a kind of like a a proggy band. They were pretty balls out, you know, mm-hmm. a riff kind of band. And um, but yeah, so you see the Strat, the Rickenbacker, the mm. F, uh, Gibson SG. So it's like I was like, oh my god, and I, I saw the Rickenbacker, I thought that's fr- yeah, there it is. That's it. And I was like, that is the one that sold me on it. That picture right there sold me on the bass. Right serious? there. That's the there one. There it is. Yep, that's the one. And I actually have one of those basses at home now. It's a 4003. It's actually blue and white. That one's probably mm. black and white. But um, And then, of course, I saw Geddy Lee on All the Worlds of Stage. He was playing one. But you know, then I saw Gene Simmons, obviously, the cover of Kiss Live with a Gibson grabber. And Uh, then you got to get a Gibson. My eyes just kind of always went to the base for some reason, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, thank God, because I guess we all need a base player. So, so, so you were just naturally
0: just drawn to it already. I was, was just, and then
1: I picked. I played a guitar for a minute because I woke up one morning and there's an a, there's strings. a nylon string guitar on my chair. I'm like, who the hell brought that in here? You know, and my mom was like, "Whoa, well, our friend said you should play this first. It'll help you play the bass better." I'm like, I don't want to play that. I want to play the bass. <laughs> so I went straight to the bass, fuck yeah! And then dude. I learned how to play some guitar after, you know, and and then I enjoyed playing guitar after. But you know, like mm. playing, you know, to me. And maybe Jeff would agree or disagree. To me, the guitar isn't just a broad instrument. Playing an acoustic guitar is one method, which I can do. Mm-hmm. Playing nylon string is, is a whole other. Playing rhythm guitar is a, is a purpose. Playing lead guitar... Because I'm a pretty good rhythm player and I'm kind of a good strumming acoustic guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not an nylon string guy. I'm not a lead guitar player. So to me, guitars. And if you look, if you were in Nashville making records and your name was listed in the musicians union, you would be listed under what your skill is, right there. Mm-hmm. Are, there would be four different acoustic guitar guys in town. That would all get hired for various purposes of what they do, Hmm. right? And uh, even bass players in the 60s and 70s here in town at the local 47 Musicians Union in, in in L.A., it wasn't just bass; it was Fender bass. It was a very specific. Because there was the upright bass, mm. and then the Fender bass was a very specific electric bass. Obviously, mm. that like Carol Kay and people like this would record. So, if you were making a record and you wanted upright bass, was one guy. If you wanted the Fender bass, was another guy. So these, you know, as as you're hiring musicians, it's a very distinctive thing and i think even today you know if you're if you're in kings of thrash you need jeff young because like you need that guy to pull that off right you also need Chaz leon who's a great singer rhythm guitar player right you need david ellison to play the bass so i mean every every position in the on the bandstand is And a fred who place. can
2: play dr- <clears throat> i mean when poland came in and gave fred the compliment that i've never seen anyone nail Gar because Gar had a very idiosyncratic style. Mm-hmm. But yet Nick also grew up loving Nick Menza and he can do that to the bone as well. So it's and I agree with you a hundred percent, because playing flamenco guitar, even classical guitar, which is two different nylon string styles, it's a totally different picking approach
0: mm-hmm.
2: where the the classical players will play from their knuckle joint. Mm-hmm. And when I started getting into flamenco, it took me a long time to figure out like Paco and these De La and these flamenco, they play from this joint. That's how they get the real fast because it's less movement. That's so the think if you're swinging your whole arm like a finger, it's going to be a lot harder than if you're just going like this. So the flamenco technique more straight up. Like if you go watch Paco on YouTube, watch how he plays every time he does his fast runs. He adjusts his right hand to a very specific position. And if you don't got that, you ain't going to shred like that on a nylon string, mm-hmm. which is the hardest of all guitars. Harder than a steel string acoustic, electric, because there's no goose there's There's no effects or, and barely any resonance. You
0: can't, you, you can't hide from anything. Right. And, you've, and you've immersed yourself in studying like cla- classical, jazz, blues, Flamenco gypsy, correct. Mm-hmm. You know what? Uh, and I, I was—I I, want to ask you, Jeff. But what what elements of that did can you did you transfer over to metal? Every
2: solo that I was, Mary Jane set the world afire was all me trying to imitate Paco. Mm-hmm. I was trying to imitate a flamenco gypsy player, and the thing that's a trip, and it doesn't show you how this is a way. Uh, maybe the techniques are very diverse, mm-hmm. but. What you learn as you play music, and when I went into world music, it was really driven home that if you think of like that E to F, that Jaws, Mm -hmm. Donna, Donna, that half-step progression that's in Set the World of Fire, that's in Mary Jane, is also the hallmark of the Andalusian cadence in flamenco. So when you hear that half-step in flamenco, it's the same exact thing. So I just went in Megadeth and played the same scales Mm -hmm. on electric guitar that you would play over flamenco. The only difference is it's through an electric amp with an electric guitar, and I'm playing it with a pick instead of fingers. But everything I was doing on those two songs, especially so what you learn through music, and it's a great, I'm getting chills telling you, it's not how different we are as humans. It's how similar we are and how music connects us. And if you really look, this is what Bob Marley said, we are one. We are one.
0: Mm-hmm. Because uh, you, so you graduated in Ohio in 1980. Did you? Did you? And then you moved to Hollywood to uh, to go to MI. Mm-hmm. Did you? Which you would go on to have a career in teaching. Was uh, what was your thought and goal? Okay, am I going to go to Hollywood to go to MI to have a career in teaching? guitar, or am I going to try to get a gig?
2: I had read an article in the back of Guitar Player magazine. On the very last page, it was a one-page article, and they had all the teachers, Mm -hmm. one of them being Tommy Tedesco from the Wrecking Crew, who was Mm -hmm. like the most, he's the guy on the Partridge Family stuff, and just an amazing, amazing guitar player. All I needed to know is that Tommy Tedesco taught there, and that Eddie Van Halen and Alan Holsworth jammed together. At MI, at Guitar Institute. Oh, shit. Mom, mom, I got to go to this school. And my parents. I did the same
0: thing. My parents
2: were scared shitless. I mean, (laughs) they didn't know sending their young son across the country, you know, 3,000 plus miles away from Dayton, Ohio. Luckily enough, and it's so odd that the night before I moved, Alan Holsworth played the jazz club in Dayton, Ohio at Jilly's. And I took my parents to see him, and I got to meet him. And I even told him, Mr. Holsworth, I'm moving. I'm going to Guitar Institute of Technology tomorrow because I know you and Eddie Van Halen played there and jammed there together. And Whoa. I was like a 24 years old at the time. And I think he looked at me like he didn't want that on his conscience. <laughs> I think that this <laughs> young kid was going out because of his influence to move out to Hollywood. He looked a little scared by that. But so yeah. I didn't. I didn't really care about going out to become a rock star or whatever. I just knew from reading that article that it would put me at a school as opposed to going for a classical guitar degree where I would have had to study history and science Mm -hmm. and algebra and all this stuff that's totally unusable in the real world. (laughs) And most of it that they teach oh, nice. in schools and in colleges is all bullshit to begin with. <laughs> <Attaboy>. so, <laughs> so I said, I'm not going to do that. Like what Randy wanted to do, he was going to leave Ozzy. Randy yeah. Rhodes was going to go and try to get a classical guitar degree. Mm-hmm. But then I found this school, Musicians Institute, Guitar Institute of Technology, that all seven periods are music. You're going to ear training. You're going to theory. You're going to country music class, jazz class, rock class, Every period of the day, you're immersed with a guitar in your hand. And I said that's mm. the place for me, and at the time, there was nothing else like it because this was 1984. Yeah. So I begged my parents, and they bought me a brand new Mustang hatchback. I walked out in the garage; Fuck. there was a bow on it,
0: and Fuck off I that's went. Sick. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Can can we get a picture of this car, Jay? <laughs> Is there a it, was out there? it was blue. Uh,
2: it was like sky blue. See, Jeff's a good salesman.
0: I like, now I want to go to MI.
1: Because <laughs> I was going to go to MI too. Same thing. Grew up Midwest. And that was the way to tell your parents, <coughs> excuse me, how to get out to LA, right? Was to get out there. And I thought, the same thing. Same ad in the back of Guitar Player Magazine. And I saw that and I went, this is a path forward. Like, this is the real deal. And of course, Van Halen was popping. You know, the West Coast is where it was at for those of us in the Midwest. It wasn't. Yeah, it, the same.
2: week I arrived, Rat Out of the Cellar had just dropped. And they were doing all their rounds of interviews in L.A. as I was driving around town. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing Wanted Man and Round and Round. And I was going, this is amazing. And yeah. I totally did the right thing at that time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now I wouldn't necessarily recommend GIT because it's now a big, giant corporate thing. It's moved across the street. It's mm-hmm. a whole... It's it not owned the street, by the yeah. same people yeah. you know, mm-hmm. that owned it and ran it. So it was a moment. Just like Megadeth and what we had. And I captured, I was lucky to be at that school at the right moment. Mm -hmm. You know, Jeff Buckley was there right before me. Halfway Mm -hmm. into my year, Paul Gilbert arrived and we became buddies Mm -hmm. and hung out. So it was uh, Frank Gambale was teaching there, Scott Henderson, it was it was a great place to be. Jeff Berlin. If if yeah. Elson would have been there, he would have been hanging yeah. with Mr. Berlin, Berlin every day.
1: And also um, uh, Steve Lynch, right from Autograph, nice. right? He was there, and that was a big thing because he was on the radio when I got here in '83. Autograph was was popping, and all these bands. I mean, it was great because that was an era when. Lead guitar playing was exceptional, of course, led by Eddie and then Randy, and mm-hmm. but then you know George Lynch and Steve Lynch and these guys in the in the rock and metal world for sure. Yeah. But being a great lead guitar player was, I mean, that was a a sought after thing to be. You know, now it's I don't know, invent Facebook or be LeBron James or something, right? But back yeah. in that day, playing guitar was cool, and you know, it was it was, a, it was it was ripping. Thing. Yeah, yeah.
0: Hmm. There you go, autograph right there. That's sick. You know I where was, I was? I was listening to Van Halen, "Running with the Devil" today, mm-hmm. and no one talks about that fucking bass line, dude. It's am, am I sound easy? But no. to, to, the beat in that pocket, <clears throat> dude. Yeah. Boom.
1: Well, well, you know it's so funny. I'm sure with Eddie Trunk thing the other night in Vegas, right? And so and Michael, Michael Anthony's Michael there. I love the guy dearly. We become friends. Uh, in fact. I was introduced to him when I ran artist relations for PV. My boss, who hired me to work at PV, had worked at uh, St. Louis Music, and then one of their big brands was Ampeg. And he had hired mm-hmm. Ken Hensley, keyboard player from Uriah Heep, to do his artist relations. So when I called him after Megadeth disbanded in 2002, he said, he goes, I think I got something for you. I'm going to, I started doing some work with PV. I think I might have a position to bring you in as kind of the new Ken Hensley, right? So, which mm-hmm. was perfect. And it worked great. So he introduced me to um, to Michael Anthony, and it was when they were going to go to the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, mm. and I remember Michael was stressing out. You know, he was. I could see the fear in his eyes, because like, it was him and Sammy and the Van Halen brothers, right? It was mm-hmm. definitely a divided camp, right? And I encouraged him. I said, "Dude, it's yours to have. Go, please. You have to go. Don't, don't, don't get bullied out of that by anybody. Go." Yeah. I said, believe me, I know I've been in the same kind of band for many years, how these <laughs> dynamics go. I said, Go. And plus you got Sammy as your wingman. You know, Sammy's fearless. He don't give a shit. Sure. He'll walk right in. He's got more money than everybody. He's fun. He's like he's like the ultimate rock and roll frat boy. You know, and he's got got all the booze (laughs) and the plane. (laughs) Which is the most important part. (laughs) But those two guys are great together. And watching Michael the other night, uh, you know, he, they sang, they did some deep cuts. They did like DOA, I don't know, Beautiful Girls, whatever, that he sang. I mean, he Mm -hmm. is just, at his age... I've been doing a lot more singing now, so now I can appreciate the voices and instruments, and you know, between talking and singing and everything, and just mm-hmm. watching him just effortlessly go up and get on the mic and sing just like a bird, man. I mean, he was as much to me an inspiration as a singer uh, as he was a bass player. And um, and I, I told him <laughs> years back when when I worked at PVA, he was at our booth, and I said, hey man, I got a I got a Megadeth story to tell you, and I told him about how I was playing, you know. As the story was told, I was playing Running with the Devil. And Dave threw the flower pot down on my air conditioner, mm-hmm. and that's what led to us knocking on the door and buying beer, and then we started Megadeth, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a loose version of what it was. But so I at least got to tell Michael and said, "Hey, by the way, thanks for getting me the audition." You know, <laughs> and he laughed. He goes, "Well, at least it was a simple bass
0: part," you know. So, but you're right, eight notes, done, It's not. I was, I was <laughs> like, but he, he, he would throw in. Right, right when you want it, the little slide. Yeah, and it's just—it sounds simple, but I know to land in that pocket directly with the kick. Yeah, well, you know, there's some good stuff, and you probably heard it too. Some some stuff from
1: Sunset Sound. They're in there now, pulling up the master tapes. They're talking about mm-hmm. what songs were recorded in Room A, Room B, or is it mm-hmm. one and two, whatever the two rooms are. Talking about the different microphones that were used, and and you can hear the audio about how they recorded live in you know as as a band. And you can hear the bleed through the vocal mic uh, where Roth was in the in the vocal booth. Even when he solo that up, you can hear the bleed of the other instruments out in the room—the guitars and drums and the bass and everything—and mm-hmm. so you can really hear. That's part of what made that whole thing blend so well was the bleed mm-hmm. of the mic. You know, now where everything's so clinically clean and everything, of sure. course, recorded digitally, individually. A lot of that, you know, that ambiance is missing. But the way we used mm-hmm. to make records, you know, in the in the big rooms and the big studios and mics, would, you know, you'd hear things bleeding over into the, yeah. you know, and, and in fact, the record me and Jeff made with Megadeth, so far so good. So what? Our producer Paul Lanny was really on this big Mutt Lang kick because Def Levered Hysteria had just come out, and it was the mm-hmm. most cutting edge record of that day. And so he started, like, like when Chuck played drums, there were no cymbals. In the kit, and that's a big part of getting the sound of a kit. His cymbals are bleeding into the snare mic, and yeah. he made know. him
2: overdub the cymbals. Yes. Really?
1: So he cut all the Frog. drums, then he went back and he overdubbed all the cymbals. That's why it has this weird washy sound to it. And we had a hard time with the mix. And that was when Jeff said he brought in Michael Michael Wagner. He said because we we went to Bearsville, we did a mix. They're they're on some of the B sides of the Megadeth mm. re releases.
2: Mustang called me up from Bearsville crying. He's like. Goo-hoo. These mixes are horrible. And I didn't even, at the moment, because I wasn't really into Metallica, I never even thought mm. when I mentioned Michael about the Master of Puppets thing, He, Michael just been mixing my demos for my mm. band, mm. and we'd become great buddies, and I know he gets great sounds, and George mm. Lynch and all the other people he's done. And I said to Mustaine, well, I can call Michael Wagner. And he said, do it! Yeah. <laughs> And that, the rest was history, yeah. Yep. And then I realized that, that was the perfect guy because he had done Master Puppets.
1: And now mm. I listen to, you know, now on iTunes, thank God they brought back the original mixes from Michael Wagner, and then they've got the mixes Dave did. And look, you know, the mixes Dave did, while I don't care for those as a body of work, mm-hmm. the bass sounds great on it. He did mm-hmm. one thing on those mixes that, that I always had a problem with, which is, as guitars got big and drums got this kind of big, you know, washed-out room feel to it, the bass mm-hmm. always disappeared. The bass yeah. was the first thing to—you never heard the punch, you never heard the attack. Mm-hmm. And in Dave's mixes, they the bass sounds great. So, I mean, for that, I'm— certainly happy i think the bass sounds better you know than 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 on any of the other ones but as i now listen even just refreshing for these gigs i go to itunes i pull up you know the the michael wagner mix and you can really hear how he blended things together you know there's mm-hmm. there, you know there's little that's just the way it was recorded how high we were at the time when we recorded it <laughs> actually jeff wasn't high he was not high at all but the rest of us were and how it was made and you know the producer tricks to try to massage and get things to to, to blend together then you hand it to the mix engineer Mm-hmm. um you know he hears it he hasn't heard this record before so he's just mm-hmm. getting used to it and that's why you go out you know Andy Wallace is a popular mixer these oh, yeah, guys top. you know they they top mix to things because they're not so close to it you know when you get really mm-hmm. close to a record i remember we did an interview a podcast with Max Norman and he he talked about that he said you know as an as a producer and an engineer in a record you you get familiar with every single note of that record every mm. every lyric every word every note every kick drum because you hear it more than anybody else over and over and over you're hearing it so even as Jeff comes in to play guitar well will Max has already been hearing it because he cut the drums. He's already been hearing it as he cut the bass, and now he's hearing Mm -hmm. it when Jeff comes in to play his solo. So, I mean, you know, Max, for instance, will have heard that so many times. Mm -hmm. And Max is speaking especially to to Mutt Lang, you know, which is why he was so hypercritical about the detail in all of his recordings and his his mixes, you know. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, look, you learn a lot when you make records, you know, and making records is fun, but it's hard work. And you know, I hear things, you know, uh, on the radio that you know. Last night I was listening to that Ghost uh, Panem or is it Phantomine the uh, EP that that came mm-hmm. out after the last record, and I just listened mm-hmm. to it, and it's mixed differently than oh, those- the record. It's mixed heavier. You can hear it's got a, a bigger, ballsier sound. I think yeah. we recorded it at the same time, around the same time. But it's got a bigger, uh, it's got a more metal mix to it, you know. Yeah. At least as as I hear it, um, totally. you know. So it it's you know you can take the same like again like the Megadeth records the same, you know, record mm-hmm. mixed by two different people has a very different outcome and a different even a different emotional impact. You know, mixing mm-hmm. is a real it's a real art.
0: Mm-hmm. When when you when you hear the idea of hey we're gonna do the we're gonna overdub the cymbals like mm-hmm. that, no one come in like that's kind of you you kinda of trusted like let like, the process.
1: Well, again, this was nineteen eighty seven and it was a Even g- more so. Yeah, was, and you know, again, the Def Leopard records coming out. Um, you know, I think we probably all like Martin Birch, who was doing the Sabbath records, doing Maybe. the maiden records, he did mm-hmm. Rainbow. You know, we loved him as a heavy rock guy, but Mutt was unstoppable because, you know, he seemed to have the secret sauce, whatever he did. Mm. Went to number one, and I think for for Paul Lanny as as a producer, as an engineer, he was fascinated, you know, by... That technology and how he could make those records sound as as great as as they did, and and mm-hmm. so look, he, he tried, you know. It was I, I, we were always, you know, what was the saying? You know, I remember our when our manager said that, you know, Megadeth, the world's state of the art speed metal band, he came up with that. A manager did and, and it, and that's how it hit him. Is like we weren't a, we weren't just a I don't know, bro, let's jam, dude. You know, we weren't that band. Everything was very meticulous. It was very, you know, we were musically educated, you yes. know, and, 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 astute. And, and, you know, so I don't know for us, I think it was always about trying to go the extra mile to make great sounding records and mm-hmm.
0: well-produced products. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, you, uh, you, you came in when there was uh, and that, like, that record two record, like two weeks two, two left weeks before left, we right? had
2: to play Christmas on earth. Yes. Like Testament overkill over in the UK. Yeah. So probably unlike any other guitarist in Megadeth history, I had no rehearsals with the band I didn't hear any vocals, and I didn't even hear full songs. I hit The first <laughs> tape I got, I mean, I was literally ready to leave L.A. I was like, this is a town full of posers. Really? And, and drug addicts. And I was trying Austin, Seattle, New York, U.K., where am I going to go? I was literally talking to my buddy on the way home from a rodeo that night saying, I'm getting out of L.A. This, this place sucks. Mm. I came home And my message machine Was ringing And it was Dave Mustaine Hey I want to see you At the studio tomorrow Come on down early (laughs) So I went down there And everyone knows The story that I was Jay Reynolds Guitar teacher And I was Mm -hmm. He had hired me To help figure out Chris Poland's solos Because I have Perfect pitch Mm -hmm. And I learned Figuring out if I can figure out Spanish flying eruption and all the Holesworth and Gary Moore stuff that I figured out mm-hmm. by slowing my dad's turntable down to 16 from 33 and a third, right? Because then it's a perfect octave lower, all, albeit it sounds like you're trudging through kick, kick quicksand, but there was no YouTube and tablature to show us how to play any of this stuff. So that's how I taught myself. And Jay knew that because he had lived with me. He said, I'll pay you 50 bucks an hour which back in 83, that ain't bad, to help it's me figure bad, out right? Chris Poland's solos from Killing and Peace Cells, all the songs they were going to do live. Plus, you got to help me write solos for what was to become so far. And the first thing I remember, help, I was starting to write the hook and mouth thing because I knew he liked Shanker and I wanted mm-hmm. some kind of uh, Teutonic, that German kind of sounding Flight of the Bumblebee kind of thing. But what I didn't think about except maybe subconsciously as I was engineering Jay out of a gig because <laughs> there ain't no way he was going to play that like this week, next week, in this lifetime. And I remember Chuck was the first one w- running through the room and he'd walk through, raise his eyebrow and scurry out real quick, and then Gadget would come through. You came through, I think, a couple times where I was teaching, and they were all raising their eyebrows seeing me play the stuff and him struggling. And I think the mm. kicker, though, really – Cinched it for me as I went over to you and Dave's house in Silver Lake, Mm -hmm. and I sat on the their couch and I figured out pulling solo to wake up dead in like ten minutes, and I was playing it and there. I think that's when I got the gig.
1: That's so funny you you slowed things down to sixteen because as a bass player you would never do that because it'd be like.
2: (laughs) I mean that's what the guitar the guitar is a a great idea it sounds like a bass by that time it's so slow and it's an octave lower but at least you can hear the pitches yeah that's a great idea but the thing is like now you see I got that trainer so I can make a little loop thing and it's all electronic but back then you're picking up the thing and it was a pain because it's not always going back to right where you need it and you're forgetting the part that you just figured so it was a whole scene Mm. but it was a process because I first started out with like Aerosmith dream on album the first one and Hmm. train and get your wings and i'd come home from school and i'd put that on and i'd play down one side i could play the full album every lead every solo everything joe walsh rocky mountain way all this stuff ted nugent ted nugent stranglehold the entire ted nugent album i had and then it just then every guitar player once you had that then the next guitar player came out that was harder You know, and then okay, and then you just kept, and then Ingve came out like a few months before I went to GIT. That Alcatraz album, Hmm. that was my goal. By the time I got to GIT, I wanted to figure out every solo off that, which I didn't do. But by the time I was out of GIT, I had and I'd met Ingve and sat backstage with him. I showed you the pictures. He's sitting there showing me how he held the pick, one on one, just like this. And he was cool for everything everyone says about Ingve. I only can go from my experience that he was the coolest cat ever, very tender and showing me exactly what he did, because he could tell I really admired him, even though I was older than him. He's really young. I'm a couple years older than him, but he was super cool and funny, and so I was on my way. And it's teachers like that, between the teachers at MI that show you a little trickier, here's how to hold the pick there, here's how to sweet pick You know, Frank Gambali, or you go in Mm. Scott Henderson's room and he cuts your head. And that'll send you home to make sure that the next time you go in, you don't get your head cut.
0: Hmm.
2: And so each teacher that you get, then you get a flamenco teacher that shows you, you know, hmm. and all that becomes part of your style. And so by the time I was playing with Megadeth, you know, I was trying to bring all that into them and hmm. and hear Chris's thing because we both loved Alan Holdsworth and Jeff Beck, which is why I thought I I think I was able to play his style because I already was into the similar Similar stuff that he was into, and then you kind of try to bring all your own stuff and all your influences into amalgamation that doesn't sound like all your influences. Mm. And then you got the other three guys in the band that have all their influences. Boom! That could be similar or totally different, and that's how the sound of a band is born.
0: So it sounds like you you learned from like you didn't because one of my questions to you was what what was your what was your big take takeaway from graduating there but it sounds like you were just taking everything you were just learning that and that and that and then this this teacher you put it just put everything you knew until
2: and I was lucky actually the last half of the year I kind of ditched out I was getting A's on my test but I had a bass player because when you go to MI they had at this time they only had GIT for guitars BIT for bass and PIT for drummers mm-hmm. and then you end up in a band in school I had a BIT guy and I had a PIT guy And for some reason, this drummer didn't work out. And me and the bass player went into Burbank to audition this drummer. He goes, well, my dad has a studio. We figure his dad's got a studio out in his backyard in the garage. (laughs) We pull up, and it's freaking Evergreen Studios, the big place where they did all the soundtracks for Knott's Landing, Dynasty, all the TV shows, tons of movies, two studios, Barbra Streisand, Michael Jackson, Toto's Equipments in the Hall, and we have, me and the bass player, we're walking in to do the audition, and I look at him and I go, if this dude can play a note, he's got the gig. <laughs> free and studio And <laughs> luckily, we walk in, and he's got the Neil Pert kit. And so he's a really good drummer. And so now, not only had I had the GIT experience, now I'm going every day to this studio after hours for free, oh. learning how to mix and produce and work this gear, which was invaluable and it's everything that I use now when we make records and why I'm such a two inch analog snob you know when Mm -hmm. we're doing our original stuff
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's gonna be
2: on two inch dude it ain't gonna be pro tools I'll promise you that
0: there's something about two inch tape well we're analog creatures
2: we are analog creatures and we're not We're not designed to input digital information or all the Wi-Fi and all these frequencies. Mm -hmm. They're bouncing around, making everyone crazy and making us unhealthy and bringing down our consciousness, Mm -hmm. lowering down the consciousness of the... Interesting. Maybe that's why music isn't connecting with people the way it used to in the 70s because it's not so much that the music isn't as great or there aren't just as great artists, but maybe the delivery mechanism is flawed. And you even heard Neil Young... In Sound City, the movie, talk about when they came up with the code for digital, there's a flaw in the code. Really? And you can't – it's like just like AI is never going to replace human emotion, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. I just – I don't think digital – it's just not the way. And I've recorded like the same drums on the same song, digital, and – because we did Bridges Burn Mm -hmm. at LAFX Analog, and then we did it in Arizona – dude it's a anyone that says they can't hear the difference has got some cotton in their ears or head up there you know where or something because sure it's a huge difference in the tone hmm. yeah. and how it hits your soul
0: yeah uh how many so when, when you cut a record on tape how much uh I, I i hear stories from bands that have the record done like how many rolls of tape is that you can
2: fit well, that's and that's the cool thing is you got to go in and be able to do it in one take, like how Van Halen would do that. You got to be yeah. able to play from beginning. There's no punching, or let's just cut mm. this chorus in here, and and you got to play the tune. You can maybe fit, depending on the usually length, like three, 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 tunes, three tunes per usually. tape. Per yeah, and the tape today is like four seventy five. And
1: it's not mm. like you do like four or five versions. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. not like you know that. I remember when things moved over to the to the uh, is it the one that, inch. To, well, to the one-inch uh, digital tape, right? Yep. Like, we started to cut uh, Countdown to Extinction and Euthanasia. That was kind mm. of the precursor before Pro Tools, mm. um, which w- had a good sound to it. But, I mean, and it was still a tape format, right? So, like Jeff was saying, you couldn't just cut a chorus out and cut and paste. I mean, but at least it mm. had a – it was kind of the beginning of the of the digital. Yeah, then the dats and all this kind of stuff. So, it's uh, – I mean, look, all this digital stuff, it has a place, you know, like – Loopers, you know, on stage we even have some stuff for some intro tapes. It's perfect for that, you know. These these things where mm-hmm. things are stored, um, you know. We all use our iPhones and things for for various things, but yeah, there there is a there is an yeah. emotional connection to these old <laughs> these old mechanical there pieces of equipment, you know. Some,
0: something about I'm always I like, thought about like what is like what is my connection with with like tubes and like speakers and. Like what? So it's funny, you know,
1: know, it's funny, you know, uh, Jeff and I went and saw Trans-Siberian Orchestra the other night, right? And Al's rig, he's updated. It's Petrelli, right? He's our friend, obviously Megadeth alumni with us. And, uh, Mm. you know, so, you know, seeing his rig and he was telling me how he was kind of moving into some Kemper stuff, but some some gear, some Marshall stuff that he has. And I remember there's one moment probably 10 years ago that I went to go see them and he was holding a note as the whole band faded, and you could just hear the tube breathing. I mean, even in a big arena, you could just hear the tube just like, because he was just scorching that tube with his lead, this bend that he was doing, right? And it was so freaking awesome, man. It was so rock and roll, and it was just musical, right? Because the, the, the amplifier was partnership with the musician playing the note, right? And that's what was so cool about it. Um, and I hear that right away when I walk in and I hear a band who's all digital on Kemper and stuff, I, I hear it immediately. And to me, yeah. it, it hurts my ears. It's not a, it's not a, a friendly sound to me, you know. It, it's mm-hmm. it's it, just because it's digital. And it, that's just me. I know for the convenience of the road, as a support act versus a headliner and stuff, it it it's 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 helped make rock and roll affordable. A lot mm-hmm. of bands to, couldn't afford to tour if they had to have amps and cabinets and stuff like this. I mean. We mm-hmm. do because we're old school, right? We have amps, and mm-hmm. you know, the other night I was on a gig in, in Vegas, and at Soundcheck, the SVT bass amp, which is all tube, nice, perfect, held up, had a nice big sound, but they, I think they left it on all day and all night. So by the time I went on last to to play a, a song, a couple of songs, the thing was so, it was like all mushy and farted out. And I remember when I was playing with Ronnie Montrose, same thing. I would sound check, and one night, I remember, I left the amp on. And by the time we got to the end of the set, I'm digging into the bass. I'm hitting it so hard, trying to get the notes to come out. And I realized the mm. tubes were so hot and had been on so long that they oh, got shit. mushy. And they didn't stand up. And that's why, generally, I've tended to use, um, you know, solid transistor amps because they're they're faster response, you know. And it, okay. And, and they and they, and it's always there, you know. When you go for the note, it's there. It's always mm-hmm. there. So what happened to me the other night with the SVT a guitar player would love that, right? Be just like, oh my god, this is the spongy, cool, like groovy tone. Right. So yeah. again, different application, right? So sure. what sucked for me as a bass player at midnight would have been awesome for Jeff at midnight mm-hmm. ripping a solo,
2: you know. And so although Dimebag loved the solid state. He did. Yeah, he was yeah. playing only solid state. Yep, he had that. Yep. Yep. And, and get a great tone with it, too.
0: That was that was just his voice. It's crazy. Yeah, he's 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 found it. Mm-hmm. So uh, so you come out with 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 the record, uh, a, so that that touring cycle probably had to be from eighty seven to eighty nine. Like what like what? So, it, so, so what,
1: August eighty eight. We finished at Donington, which is now the Download Festival. It was Donington mm-hmm. back then. In fact, Steve Harris's tech, Michael Kenny, he just since retired from Maiden about a year ago, but he was there at at rehearsal the other day and uh you know it's kind of reliving some stories cuz it's funny that all of us would be there at that gig at that time and you know iron maiden they were like a, they were like a gang you know their crew was like a it's like a biker gang you know what i mean they uh, they, 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 they this they,
2: was in their era this was like around the seventh son of the seventh son tour
1: yeah so they were unstoppable oh huge you know yeah. so
2: and what was cool when we got to hook up with them and i remember how because Axel got Guns N' Roses kicked off the tour because he went to catering and he forgot his meal pass. Mm. And, he's, and they wouldn't let him in. He's, don't you know who the fuck I think I am? I'm Axel motherfucking Rose. <laughs> and Iron Maiden are gentlemen, and they're very <laughs> soft spoken gentlemen. And once they got wind of that, Guns was he nixed off that tour, and we came in and we had just come <clears throat> off the Dio dream evil tour where it was none more black and dark and so to play on yeah. that white stage that they had was yeah. the coolest thing ever man so cool that looked like antarctica how yeah. cool
1: i still go out because they would have i think michael was the one who would play the keyboards backstage on when they would play like seventh son of a Seven son mm-hmm. on the road and every time i heard that song when megadeth would do shows with them in recent years i'd always mm-hmm. run out because to to me, Seven Son, because we toured that album, we did seven shows on the Seven Son of a Seven Son tour. Mm. That that to me was just such a moment of of you know for me and Jeff, it was our lives that we spent on that. On you know, we did those dates in America with them. We did Donington with them. So mm. that album to me, I, I, as a fan of Iron Maiden, I love it. It's it was it was a very progressive album because that's when they started bringing the keyboards in, mm. right and um so it's just that 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 song is special to me whenever i, I i'm at a maiden show I, I make sure to see that one because <laughs> mm-hmm. and i say see it because it's seeing the visual of it as much as it is hearing the song yeah it's a very visual song for
0: them hmm. hey jeff it's, it's, it's kind of a trip like you were you were about to get the hell out of la for obvious reasons if, if you live here you, you know you know what it is and then all it takes is like a phone call and now you're in you're playing with Iron Maiden.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That that's a fucking trip. Yeah. This fuck, okay. First
2: out with Dio, but that I mean the, the trip was is so far didn't come out for about four or five months because labels back in that time they needed that window, so we were still touring with the Peace Cells backdrop. Mm, that's right? right, we were. Yeah. <laughs> so I got a gold album when Peace Cells went gold because I helped push that gold with all those dates, you know. So
0: <laughs> boom, yeah. That's sick. But
2: literally, out from being a guitar teacher, you know, to playing for four walls that, that don't clap to thirty thousand people a night—that's uh, into the frying pan, as they say.
0: It's special. How, how how long was that uh, that porn cycle?
2: It was like the year and a half. Yeah,
1: about. year
0: year-ish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah
2: I mean we did a
1: lot though Like I said We did the We did uh, the Leeds thing We did a warm up Run up the West Coast California Dio Then we did Dio
2: Headlining shows With Warlock And Sanctuary
1: Yep Nice Yep Then the Maiden Dates That we did in America And then
2: Then we we went back Over to Europe again We We did Japan Another another headlining run I remember Japan We were like the Beatles That's I mean In America They couldn't care No programs Barely t-shirts We go over there we got programs this big. They've got our guitars already hawked and designed, selling models of our guitars, little dolls that look like us. Sick. The sound companies, they're like rocket scientists. The sound was so pristine, and they were just a whole nother level when we went to Japan. And it's mm. amazing because the concerts start early, mm. and there's definitely no mosh pit. Yeah. And the second you end the song, when Mustaine would start talking, you could hear a pin drop. I mean, they're just so attentive and they don't want to miss anything,
0: right?
2: No. And we just go down to the bus early to get gifts. They're just amazing. I remember a 16-year-old girl saying, I present you with this gift. And I open it and it's a pencil drawing she had done by hand that, and framed that looked just Whoa. like me. I'm like, I kept that for years, you know, moving. I've moved so much since lost it. But just amazing people all over the world that you meet playing music. And again, realize kind of what I said earlier, that we're not separated by language or color of skin. Mm -hmm. We're all one. And music is the best way to remind us of that.
0: Music. Music brings people together. It's like it's its own, it's cliche to say it, but it's its own language. I'm always, uh, I think art, art, music, sports all kind of fall into that same category that just keeps people together and keeps us from bombing each other. I, I, I truly, I truly think like this fucking. This is because it it, it just keeps us. It keeps like this deep connection with with every country.
1: But as of yet, you're not able to gamble and bet on music. So I wonder if that's going to happen, <laughs> right? Not yet. The, the MGM Music app where you can bet. I don't know what you would bet. Are they going to suck? Are they going to be good? Oh is wow! Is the drummer going to make any mistakes?
0: Baseball are gonna fall down. I don't know. That might be your. Um, are they gonna play Black Friday tonight? I don't know. You, you. If I were you, put a, <laughs> a bar, yeah, I'll, I'll put a patent on that. Now, because well, now you have like uh, Share the royalties
1: with me. I'm good. Well, we go. can split it. I'm a collaborator. Because uh, <laughs> you
0: got, uh, you got DraftKings is killing it. Well,
1: Man. to me, that's what ruins sports. As soon as you start gambling on it, you've immediately ruined the integrity. That spirit of radio, right? You know. Glittering Prizes and Endless Compromises, compromises. right? You know, Shatter, shatter the, the illusion of, of integrity. integrity. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> right? Spirit of Radio, right? By Rush. That was the whole point of that song mm. was, you know, and again, as soon as you say Spirit of Radio, Radio loves it. Oh, this is great. They wrote a song for Radio, you know, but really they were kind of, Neil, I assume, wrote mm-hmm. the lyrics for it. it was probably mocking it, just going like, we have to play to this game. We have to pander to this. That was one of the first huh. big records that really moved Rush onto the airwaves, at least in America, but it's it is it's like that whole thing about having to you know play to those you know to those rules. I mean, I remember meet and greets. I mean, we always used to do meet and greets. Like you, you would play a show. A radio station would sponsor the the show. So you'd say, mm-hmm. "Hey, we got twenty you know radio station winners. You know, let's give them ten minutes, sign some autographs." And you, you would always do that. It's just you play the game, right? But mm-hmm. then suddenly came up with the idea. You know, maybe it was Kiss. Hey, we can make money on this. Let's charge for this, right? So, has, is set, that where it came from? And again, as as these bands have set the stage for, I, I always say I am a perpetual student of Kiss. I learned so much from them, and will mm. always will, even though they've essentially quit touring. You know, you learned so much from how they ran their business, how they ran, how they mm. thought, and how. And how they 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 did things, but you know, some somewhere somebody in the and it really is kind of in the late nineties, early two thousands. It switched, and now it's like, oh, you want to meet the band? Well, that'll be two hundred fifty bucks. You know, all of a sudden everything had a price on it. Maybe that's our version of gambling now. I don't know,
0: right? I, I, I didn't put that like yeah, when you think about like marketing your band everything. It's like everything, right? Yeah. I mean, toys. I mean, you you name it. Like you, you go to Kiss, right? Oh yeah, Kiss has it. Everything. Yeah. So, may, I mean, meat like the meet and greet. It's that's. It's well them. They
1: realize, you know, their fans want that. I, I do. I'm sure. a fan. I'm a Kiss fan. <laughs> right? That's, I'll sure. pay for it. I mean, I get Kiss cola, and I don't. I don't have the coffin yet, but I, there's still time. I could write that in the will. <laughs> Put that in the <laughs> no, will. No. And make sure you
0: bury me in a Kiss coffin, <laughs> David. That is not going to happen for a long time. That, that, they need
2: to I'm make, make a little Kiss crematories. If you want to be cremated, and what that, do you yeah, do? If you're a Kiss yeah. fan, you well, need a little. Kiss
0: fuck. Crematory Bury me in box. the Kiss mausoleum over in Forest Lawn, you know I And know. Kiss fans are fucking obsessive. I, I, I every Kiss fan I know just they loves that yeah, band. I love it. I love it.
2: They have it. I'm wrong, sorry. You yep. can put the your Kiss ashes in the urn. There you go. In the urn. A- urn? That's what to urn.
1: rock and roll all night. Dude, a <laughs> urn. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's
1: fucking
0: awesome. Okay. We we're, we're students of Kiss as we speak. This is how mm-hmm.
1: awesome they
2: are.
0: They they yeah. took they truly took it to a different yeah. level. An yeah. uh, urn. An urn, yeah. Wow, I thought I thought I love New Metal and Corn, but I guess I got to get
2: my will updated now that <laughs> yeah, I, I know earn. that exists.
0: <laughs> exactly, call the estate <clears throat> attorney, get it written in the will.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness!
0: Well, I I really want to last touch on 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 the record that 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 you work together. You you really quick quickly mentioned that Jeff is not partying. You guys, how how are you guys writing songs? Because I'm I'm always curious, like. Because all we have is, like, stories and, like, like, like the legends. It's just, are we, right. are they partying and writing? Are they partying and then writing at the same time? Or are they writing and then they're done and then they go out and party?
1: You know, look, I can only just speak to Megadeth, for instance, sure. on that record, right? So, you know, up to that point, you know, look, Dave quarterbacked, you know, the, the majority of the stuff, right? There's stuff mm-hmm. we put together in the room together. Peace Sells But Who's Buying was for sure a song. And if mm-hmm. Chris was here, he would attest to, you know, the riffs were brought in. We put that together as as a band. It's And mm-hmm. that's why I think it has such an organic, natural, connected feeling, because it was done mm-hmm. as a team, right? It just And it clicked together very easily. And some other yeah. songs later that would do that, Symphony of Destruction, same thing, Sweating Bullets even. Mm-hmm. These songs just kind of, you know, Dave would pick up a guitar, play a riff, we'd all jump in, and it just kind of wrote itself, you know, huh. Um and so well, I think with, with Jeff and I on that record, I started writing a lot of that, because it was just down to me and Dave, right, because Gar and Chris were gone, it was me and Dave, we knew Chuck was going to be playing the drums, <clears throat> Chuck wasn't a, a writer, per se, in, in the group, but I, 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 at that point, had, you know, been in the group for two previous studio records. I saw how Dave wrote. I got the flavor of it. And I think, like, in any organization, you have to go and step up and rise up to, this is where the bar is. This is what. This is how it's written. This is the way it's written. You know, you don't sort of just walk in with a song, right? Mm. Um, it's not like i just use the Beatles, where it's just sort of like the chord changes, you're singing a melody over. Mm-hmm. And I love that type of songwriting. Megadeth is not that. You're writing riffs, you're sort of piecing riffs. the riffs together. Yep. It's a riff-based writing method. Um, and so I started doing that. So on, you know, Liar, Hook and Mouth, you know, I, I co-wrote the music on that, and um, you know, lyrically, Mary Jane, You Made dark Stour, things that I participated in. So, you know, for me and Dave, that was that was actually a really good connection moment. You know, for us. I mean, we had our apartment over in Silver Lake um, that me, Dave, and Chris lived in, and now at this point, it was just me and Dave. So we spent a lot of time together. Chuck was over there a lot. Eventually, Jeff would start coming over because it was it was basically the band headquarters. You know. Hmm. So that's you know that's how that started. I mean, "Set the World Afire" was originally called "No Survivors." It was the first song Dave wrote after Metallica. It was the first lyric that he had written and mm-hmm. it was uh, he had the music pretty much done when I met him. That song was done. Musically, mm-hmm. that song was was pretty much done. We used to play it in the earliest rehearsals that we had together. So that song just mm-hmm. kind of sat sat off in its own little world until it was ready to go. And sometimes you do that. You'll write a bunch of songs and, you know, some of the stuff that's on Killing is My Business was was not even the first songs that were written, some of the earliest stuff that was written ended up on P-Cells, you know? So this this stuff kind of mm. get, you know, a body of an yeah. album is like a body of work, right? It's like, does it make sense together, you know? Hmm. So I mean, we build our set lists like that, you know, Does the, do these songs make sense together? Are they grouped together in a way that, that sort of tells a story, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so when Jeff came in, the the songs were written, they were recorded, and now, as he said, we needed a guitar player, <laughs> so he came in and filled in those spots. And you know, and as we've been doing Kings of Thrash, you know, I've I've now learned, you know, I mean, Jeff touched pretty much every song on that record. Not just with leads, but with acoustic,
0: acoustic with, rhythms, with bits, mm-hmm. and
1: yeah, he did. So he he was, you know, Jeff's Jeff's footprint is boom, big time on that record,
2: even. Cutting two-inch tape, editing parts out while no one was there that we thought were too long. Me and – who's the guy? Not Gadget, but – Matt Freeman. Matt Freeman. Yeah. Darkest Hour, at the end, that climb, the chromatic climb, went twice as long. And I was like, man, that's way too long. No one And also the beginning, was twice as long. And we cut that out. And once we cut it, it's too late. And we did that with no one there. I don't know if that was a good thing to do, but that's. Yeah. Did you know that we did that? I didn't. I Mustaine didn't. never said shit.
1: You know, it's funny though now that you mentioned it, because now, now that you mentioned, I remember that they weren't too long. They were, they were too long. They were both yeah.
2: the beginning. Yeah. The gone... da 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 was twice as da 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 was twice as long. Yeah. And it the climb da 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 was twice as long, and Matt Friedman and I went and cut that out of the tape. Literally, when I was laying solos that <laughs> night by myself,
0: people need need to realize boy exactly what you're saying. You literally cut the tape. Literally cut the tape,
2: which yeah. would have destroyed the track if we <laughs> couldn't get it back together right. <laughs> yeah, if Matt would have, you know, and Matt wasn't like yeah. that season mm-hmm. to be editing tape like that. So that was a lucky, that was yeah. a lucky
0: one. Yeah, how how do you do it? So you you cut it, and then they can pull the pull-
2: tape on the way the Studer machines. They pull the tape out, and there's a little. Square a silver square block. flat cutting yeah, block yeah. and you just lay the tape there and you cut it and pray for the best. You
1: make a mark as you, you sort of you wiggle it, right? You find the exact spot and you wiggle it and you can he- and engineers who are experienced with this, they can tell if there's a cymbal hit or a kick drum hit or some dramatic event and they move it and they because there's there's a record head, there's a playback head and a record head, right? So the playback head is what where you're hearing. They, obviously, the record head, once that engages, it destroys what's there before and prints the new material, right? So you're listening, and they always take a white uh, ink, like a like A little
2: uh, marker. chalk pen, and chalk they pen. mark where they're they going to cut it. first. it, yep.
1: They mark it, yep. They're
2: looking for a silent spot where they're not going to cut anything, like a rest or a hot spot, or like you said, after a symbol hit and there's silence, then that's the part, and then you cut it and pray. Yep. And then there's some kind of tape. And I, what I never understood is once they put that tape... How does the sound not, still come through that little piece of tape that's underneath there? Yeah,
1: yeah, it's like a transparent piece of tape that yeah, the audio can still be played. Because the audio is not obviously on this side of the tape, it's on the other side, right?
2: Hmm. So and you're right. putting the tape on the back side, so I guess you got to get that really tight. That seam has to be just perfect. Then you put the tape on the back, and yeah. so if every album since tape was invented, they were doing that trick.
0: Yeah. Fuck. Cutting it, yeah. That is crazy. Yeah, we, are, we are, ballsy. We are yeah. ballsy. You, you almost ruined the song. That's why today, today,
1: you know, with Pro Tools and digital audio recording, you know, it's it's basically cut and paste. It's like Microsoft Word, right? You cut a sentence yeah. out. Oh, I want part of it back. You just you know Control P, and it, you put it back. You know, sure. You know, so that's that's that. I mean, that's the beauty of pro of digital work. Is is uh-huh. it makes writing much quicker. You can try different ideas. You could record four different bass parts and. Decide later, you know. Once Jeff puts his guitar down, which bass part? Oh, that bass part sounds better because of how he played the guitar. You know what I mean? So with digital, there's a lot of other creative options. You know that I think have expanded it because with tape, once you once you commit, it's there. You know, so <laughs> that is commitment. There it is. Yep,
0: there it is, right there. there. they're doing it. And Dave didn't say anything. It kind of it's kind of one, one thing. But I, I, think I heard it, was it too
2: like, high to notice uh, or for or, or oh, remember, and or maybe when he heard it, he liked it. I mean, because like you said, you felt it it felt too long.
1: Yeah, there was a lot, and that was a lot with Megadeth records. I think all the way up through Countdown to Extinction, Symphony of Destruction was five and a half minutes long. It had a bass solo, (laughs) two guitar solos. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, one day Max just says, "Everybody, get out of here. Leave me alone. I need the afternoon to myself." So he throws us all out, and we came back. It was a three-minute hit song. You know, he just he just trimmed the fat. You know, so just because you wrote a bunch of stuff and laid it all out. That's part of it, but you know hmm. the arrangement of it and that editing, you know, is is a huge part of that. Yeah, here we go. This is exactly see how that there's a record head and there's going to do it. There's the two heads. The there's record the and, white pencil. There it is. He's let's watch him do it right here. This is a little. He's doing this on yeah. quarter inch oh, tape. That's yeah. not it's a bang. razor. He just slit. Yep, that's it. He just took and the razor. And
2: always at an angle.
1: Yeah. Oh, the angle. Yeah, oh, it's shit. always an angle. And then now he takes this white tape that Jeff was talking about. See, there's. <laughs> Look at this, this is great. This is this is it.
2: Done I can place the pieces after the master tape. Cut a small piece of splicing tape with a razor blade. I place a splicing tape on the blade.
0: This makes it easier to place it square on the tape.
2: There it
0: is. Wow.
1: Look at that. Boom. Boom. There you go. you go. And that, you did that. The right there, they have a Jeff Young edit. No more double climb
0: on <laughs> <Put> on <song laughs> <to Dr. Style laughs> Mary Chain.
1: He's editing Mary Jane as we speak.
0: <laughs> oh fuck, <Wow>, dude. <laughs> Just, Joe, yeah, I I not yeah. realize that you got you gotta cut it at at an angle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then cut it. Yeah. Kinda,
1: and, you know, the truth Great. of it is that's how Mike Klink edited all of Rust and Peace. When we cut Rust and Peace, me and Nick would be out in the room together. Him cutting real tracks. I was just cutting scratch bass, but kind of playing with him for vibe and just kind of making mm-hmm. sure we play the parts. And like five magics, and we called it the master of five tempos because it was literally five different tempos. We'd take three takes of each one. We'd pick the best one, huh. and then Mike, Mike, it's the same thing. He threw us out of the studio for a week. So just go play tennis, whatever. Come back in a week, <laughs> and all the drum tracks were edited together, ready for me to play bass. So it took like a week to record it, a week to edit it, and then then you play bass and start, you know, doing that. So, man, that's, yeah, the, the making records. Yeah, it's quite the art, and you know I'm sure they used to do that with film at the same time when okay. I mean, they're editing film back in the day. Oh, and now film too. Film too. Yeah, you know. So now everything is on is on. You know, obviously Avid Shit. makes... Basically, there's a pro,
0: like a Pro Tools for film now. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, man, man, Bean? yeah, man, being in a band with the guys sounds fun. It sounds it's, yeah, it's it sounds like fun. science. Wait, wait till
2: 2024, bro. Yeah, yep. dude. Yep. It's about to pop off.
0: What All up? right. What? What was it like being in a band with Dave? Because we 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 don't know. I did a tour with, but uh, but uh, but you weren't you weren't in the band. It was 2012. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> and we, and we got kicked off. It was cool. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we we got we got. That's kicked what off it's like being in a band with him. <laughs> there, there you
1: go. Elephants not there, and you get
0: thrown off the stage. It was yeah. sick. We 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 literally had to take our gear off the stage. There you go. And, we, and the, the last uh, two shows we were in Reno. Hey, look, all the Dave is, listen, I speak to, there's, there's
1: obviously a wonderful side to his musicianship, his musicality, his mm-hmm. ability to sell an idea. I, you know what I learned from him? Maybe there's four other guys in the room, their ideas were as good or better than Dave's, but Dave had a way to convince you that his was the best. And mm-hmm. I think that was that was what was required. And Yngwie has that same thing. Yngwie has a way... Obviously, aside from his incredible skill and a unique skill at the time that no one that we hadn't heard that sound before, and probably with Dave. It was a new sound, right? Metallic and all this stuff that it was it was new. It was like, wow, I hadn't heard this before. You know, that's what I felt when new. I when I met Is like, I have not heard this before. This is brand new. This is a great sound. But he had a conviction in how he would get you on board with his idea. Mm-hmm. And he was such a good salesman with it that you, you believed it, you he know just, that, like, oh, it's, and it's, that was a big part. you read it in his mm-hmm. interviews, when he's on stage it's, there's a conviction Ted Nugent was like this. Mm-hmm. you know when Ted's in the room, you feel like he's in control, you know and I always felt it mm-hmm. sitting on the stage with Dave that one. I would always say it's like I'm glad I'm standing behind him, you know, because mm-hmm. he had control. If some guy heckled him, man, he would shut that fucking place down. Really? 60,000 people would <laughs> just go, whoa. <laughs> like, they'd be tra- and, you know, he just had that ability to do it. So, I mean, look, that's that's why he's a rock star, you know.
0: That's Well, well thank. I, I really appreciate you guys sharing those uh, stories. Yeah, it's cool. You're welcome. You're welcome. You know, because, I mean, we're, you know, we, we – uh, our band started in two thousand two, so if we we just look at those stories, man. Man, where, like what was it like, man? Like ninety, even nineties to us are like eighties, and like we, we we only know California now. Mm-hmm. And it was cool in tape, and it was, it was, it was, so so so. Th- thank you for sharing for those sure. stories. Yeah, our pleasure, yeah. my man. We're gonna go make some music. Thanks mm-hmm. for having us. Oh, well, thank yeah, you. Got, yeah, you, you, got, you got. to head out. Uh, yep. Kings of Thrash is playing in Santa Ana. Li- literally, literally a, like, in a few hours. Four, yeah, a few literally, hours. Yep. literally a few miles uh, down. Yeah, cool. Well, look at those handsome gentlemen right there. Boom. Okay, <laughs> I got I, as as a fan. Okay, so I went to your Instagram, right? Can you please put the fucking dates up there, dude? I'm like, because someone told me, okay, they're gonna be in town. So I looked. Okay, when when are they gonna be in town?
1: Oh, they're not up there.
2: We gotta no. get back in our Instagram. Yeah. We're locked out. Oh, we locked right? out. Yeah. We're
1: oh my and, goodness. We figured we'd be like Rush. You announce it once and never say it again, and it's sold out. That's because that's kind of how it's been. <laughs> so really? It's, yeah, it's been nice, yeah. That's sick. Yeah. So, All right, but we'll we'll do that for you. We'll do that next time.
0: cooking okay, you know, no one's tagged, and no, there's no dates. I'm like, what the? Oh,
1: there yeah. it is.
0: There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Swords, and, and Swords and tequila. Great. And tequila. Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. And check out the uh, coffee. For sure. How is it? It's sick?
1: Well, I think it's good. Yeah, it keeps you awake. Especially when you go on late like we do and play two and a half mm-hmm. hours of punishing thrash metal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it works. Well, it works good. Well, Jed doesn't drink coffee, so what, what do you do? Naps. Naps. Dude, the power of naps. Oh, fuck. Ten, eight, ten minutes, dude. I had one before drink. the whiskey the other drink night, man. Charge. I
2: was dying. I slept, I think, like three, four hours the night before. And at sound check, I was just going, oh, man. And I ducked out of vip that day and went back and i got a half hour and i was like a new man and we killed it at the whiskey oh, check the videos online it's pretty if you can find love to death i think you'll love it to death it's pretty cool
0: sick any uh closing thoughts
2: 2024 bro it's gonna be our year sick dave and i got a lot of new music in the works yep
0: good stuff work working on new tunes cool sick yeah well again i, I I appreciate your time Thanks Thank you All right That's it Later